also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Bottleman. Uh, how are you? We are fine. Uh, we are doing well at camp, um, and uh, I, I know we didn't want to go to Camp Bottleman, but uh, now that we are here, uh, I actually don't want to go home. We did crafts and audio editing, and I made a new friend. Signed, Riley. Yeah, I mean, food supplies are running a little bit low. Uh, the snow is piling up uh, higher. And higher and higher but we have lots and lots of content to keep us warm so mm-hmm. well we have we have uh, ctv reporters uh <laughs> who have arrived on the scene and are under tarps taking pictures of the snow yes yes we've got ctv reporters yeah. crawling the streets uh pointing their camera straight at the ground and going can you can you believe this what am I seeing here in Canada in Canada <laughs> this in, is the, in fucking this is, in fucking is, January <laughs> <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> this is we we need to get the we need to get the get the scoop. This is what this is why we need. Look, the BBC has now been uh, um the the Tories have said they're going to defund it by 2027, yeah. right? And you know, I mean, to be honest, uh, from inside this country, um, given that they were like uh, given all that they've done from like I don't know releasing a ten part documentary on the trans menace, <laughs> uh, to yeah, they did. They did. Are that. you serious? Um, to like, yes, <laughs> yes, I did. They released a ten-part documentary on how like Stonewall is, um, is is like secretly making organizations be more trans inclusive, and it's like the Cold War again. Um, oh god! And uh, the or how like they were never able to like show Corbin without like a devil horns and a ring of fire around him. <laughs> like, I don't know. I won't shed a tear for that. But Canada, Canada's national broadcaster, despite everything about how we have talked about them being kind of not that dissimilar really uh, from the BBC and all its faults does do crucial public interest journalism of taking pictures of the snow in January in Montreal. Canada's public broadcaster is beaming a three minute video of of a man um, like bending down and and picking up large handfuls of snow and looking directly at the camera and saying the water it's hard and, and it's cold. And crying. It's, it's Montreal. It's, Montreal has been struck down yet again with an almost annual plague of cold, hard water. When will they finally turn to God? When will he free them from this prison? Uh, we're just being punished over and over again. Every year, it's the same. What are we doing wrong? Are we making the wrong sacrifices? Are we not sacrificing enough? I actually, I have an idea, which is we're going to put all of Montreal on wheels, right? (laughs) It's going to be, it's going to be like a Mad Max type, you know, convoy. And it's going to roll down um, into that, uh, into Quebecois wine country and just plant itself there. Beautiful. I love it. I I love the winter. You know, I love the winter in the, uh, the uh, Niagara region of Quebec. Did you know that Quebec has a wine country? I do, I do because I see Quebec wine at the store all the time, and I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> pass. Are you pass. sure it's not good? I'm positive. I don't know. Actually, what do I know? Maybe it's maybe it could be great. Who knows? I know. If you're listening, uh, please respond to the Patreon with if it's good. <laughs> I know this for sure. Uh, I will be trying some next time in Canada. That's right. Although, I still have... 
I still have this this bottle of um of Niagara Red uh, from Stratus. It's still sitting right beside me. I'm still looking right at it. I'm looking at it right now because I'm podcasting from next to where my wine is. <laughs> um, and I just I still don't know if I'm ever going to drink it. I don't know. When can I, how could I bring myself to open it? You got to keep it closed. It's only going to appraise yeah. in value. And I, and I will say Absolutely. too, Forever. Uh, besides wine, Quebec, I don't know whether it's because of like a recently changed bylaws where the, like in, in terms of alcohol production, but there's been like a rash of uh, artisanally produced meads. Which are, <laughs> which are. Oh yeah, that had a moment in the UK for a minute, and I got suckered in so hard. I was like, "Mead, this is great. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna read, uh, <laughs> gonna read some science fiction and drink some uh-huh. mead." And uh, yeah. I bought a bottle of it, and it tastes fucking disgusting. It's it's yeah, terrible. You, you were um, gonna wait. You were planning to read some science fiction and drink some mead. Were you also gonna like put on a utilicilt and braid and band your long hair into like a graying ponytail? Because <laughs> that's what you're describing. Yeah, that was. You're describing what in Britain is called an anorak. Okay. <laughs> I was reading um, British science fiction too. I yeah, I got yeah. seduced by. Oh, well, if. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if we went to another planet and saw if there were any pedos there and hung them? Uh, it's, look, it's, it's the non-detectors in space. Uh, look, look, this is Canada, though, as ever. Um, and there are two, I think, t- there are two issues that we talk about all the time um, because I think they're the two issues that define sort of well, there are more than two issues to talk about all the time, but there are two that we kind of keep returning to, or I keep wanting to return to them every time I see some change in them or some some continuation, right? Yeah. Uh, often not a change. And we always talk about Ukraine, right? Because Canada has decided that uh, Ukraine is, it's just war mm-hmm. and that it is finally going to do the thing that it's sort of media and political class wants to do, which is to very seriously and heroically be remembered by history by waging a just war. And also, you know, basically uh, allow, uh, allow sort of a, open the gigantic pit uh, that all of the overproduced uh, material and people can be thrust into for the benefit of like 10 guys. Yes. Um, and also, uh, and, and, and we, and we, what's, well, we always talk about that, I think, and we're going to get into this more. We got into it quite a bit with uh, with uh, Peter Kortayev on our recent bonus episode. Um, but we're also, uh, we're going to get into it in this episode, but we're also going to talk a little bit more about housing policy because I think it's so fascinating that to see the sort of the three main political parties talk about it because at this point, none of them, because they and just seeing them still wanting to just try stuff, if only because they're running out of ideas of stuff that won't work. And eventually they're going to have to like go outside the category of housing and start maybe doing like summoning or like a bake sale or <laughs> uh, um, dimensional portals. Like a reading group. I yeah, a have, portal where I have we're heard, summon some housing from the nether dimension. I've heard that there's a, huge affordable housing stock available in the hell dimension. And all we need to do yeah. is put the stones in the right order and say the words properly. And uh, mm-hmm. we can, we can get it. And sure. Look, I <laughs> like we open the portal and you know, the, uh, does a Shoggoth come through and get rid of, you know, absorb half of the population of Hamilton. Uh, to me, that's a bonus because that's less people we have to house. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, it's basically some kind of uh, di- interdimensional nimbyism. <laughs> um, but uh, 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 the key is, right, I've played the prologue of the game Doom, and uh, it all goes well. So I'm excited for us to uh, to finally uh, get our hell dimension on. Yeah, it's going to be know, great. So I, I want to talk a little bit about housing first, right? Because I was watching, as a, as you do, uh, I, I was watching and transcribing some uh, Evan Evan Solomon because Evan Solomon is an interesting guy, right? Uh, he's like just one of the he hosts Question Period on the CTV, which is like one of the biggest, most softball um, <laughs> sort of like talking head shows. Um, and and I, I was watching two sort of segments, and I just decided to um, uh, transcribe them. And and it's it was it was sort of instructive, right? Because saying, look, uh, housing. And by the way, on the second half of this uh, episode, we are going to be getting back with uh, Rylan, aka Neon Wario, and advertising different listings to one another because we're finally going to buy a house. We just need to figure out where. I have found. Um, I just just a preview. I have found the perfect listing for both of you guys. I'm really excited oh, wonderful. about this. <laughs> perfect. Um, I, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in the second half. But um, I, I looked at uh, I looked at this right, we, and the segment was basically, look, let's get realistic, right? There is a housing crisis in Canada; no one can afford to live anywhere. Um, that is pretty much the definition of a crisis. We have the sort of uh, Rachel Rachel Bendayan, the housing minister, and then um, uh, 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 Pierre uh, Pauli. <laughs> I have a hard, such a hard time with his name. Pierre Polyamorous. Uh, 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 Pierre Polyamorous and then um, NDP's guy uh, Blakey on and they they basically were talked about their solutions to the housing crisis right now we talked about before that any serious solution to the housing crisis has to take into account tenure um, it has to take into account who lives where who owns what who gets to decide where where people live yes. it has to take into account um, not just say foreign buyers but also has to take into account landlords and also just generally has to take into account the financialization of the housing and the role of the housing sector in sort of supporting uh canada canada's sort of whole economy and um again has anyone done that i'm just going to ask you dan do you think anyone did that no no they did not yeah no. Uh, I was really hoping Pierre Polyamorous would, but uh, no, I'm afraid he he did not either. No, so the NDP, uh, I mean, the NDP do have a plan, which uh, you know they they were posting about last week, where you have to sign up to uh, their newsletter, of course, mm-hmm. to see what the plan is, and that's it. And the yeah, and the plan is something like eighty five thousand uh, quote unquote affordable housing units in the next ten years, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mister Canada himself, get fiscal Don Hughes brought up a really good point. Um, which is that like, it's essentially like you have an NDP person walking up to a homeless person and saying, we care about you. Um, but don't worry in 10 years, you'll have a place to live. Maybe. Well, in 10 years, 85,000 of the people in Canada that can't afford to have a house will have a place to live. Yeah. So in 10 years, you have maybe a 5% chance of having a place to live. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just walk, and that's if it doesn't get worse. Just walking away, way. patting themselves on the back so hard that they cough, you know, yeah. like just <laughs> yeah, absolutely uh, breaking their own wrist from jacking themselves off. Yes. Um. So, uh, Bendayan says our government is aware of the issue. That's good. Awareness is the first step, and is committed to solving it. 
Great. I need read no more. Uh, I guess I was wrong. Where is uh, this? Just in case. This is some uh, Kamala Harris bullshit. Like, yeah. Oh, 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 if you want Kamala Harris bullshit, hold on. Okay. Um, supply is one side of the issue, and our programs are committed to creating new construction, renovating old supply, and so on. But what can be done to bring down unproductive demand in the housing market? So, what is unproductive demand in the housing market, do you think, Dan? Hmm. Unproductive demand. Unproductive demand would be uh, we've we've got a bunch of people who can't afford to pay the exorbitant rent, uh, the, the, the exorbitant prices that rent is at now, uh, but we need to somehow house them. Is that unproductive demand? Well, I think what she's what when she says unproductive demand, she means purchasing of houses that people don't live in. Oh, um, unproductive demand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that thing that happens mostly at the top of the market in uh in big cities well, you can just make and that, Muskoka. Couldn't you just make that illegal? Couldn't you just say you can't do that anymore? And you'll be well, they want to institute a tax on foreign buyers, but again, like hmm. it, which is fine. I mean, also it's like uh, don't worry, we're gonna keep non Canadians from coming in and buying up all the Canadian houses so Canadian landlords can come in and buy up all the Canadian houses. That's fucking funny because we, all of the landlord subreddits that I've uh, been looking through, especially like the Montreal Facebook groups and stuff, uh, they, they're all uh, these are all Canadians. These are not foreign buyers. Yeah. These are these are no. domestic uh, little tyrants. And of course, you don't see unproductive demand as, for example, someone taking an existing house and they already have a house and then restricting someone else's access to it unless they pay rent. <laughs> That's not unproductive <laughs> demand because it's the classic thing of very few landlords actually build the houses. They mostly just restrict access to them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And. And then if you want to, if you drive up prices by, say, uh, by allowing an ever expanding pool of credit, as we've talked about before, that's what the CMHC basically does. You're sort of you're stoking an ever expanding pool of credit to make the houses even more pricey, which means the mortgage payments are higher, which means the rents are higher. Um, and but you're saying we're going to we're going to deal with this. It's you know what it is. It's your house is on fire and you've noticed that the mailbox is also on fire. So you've like. Put a blanket over some of the mailbox. Yeah. Basically. Well, I mean, I mean um, your mail's safe. It's, you know, it's baby stuff. Well, some of it. It's baby, some of the mail is safe. <laughs> Elements of the mail are safer for now. Not all mail um, will be safe from burning. <laughs> no. We're also putting together concrete measures in order to stop rent evictions, uh, which again, like, fine, good. Um, but also, like, let's not deal with the cause of rent evictions, List which is landlordism. Listeners to uh, Bottleman might be interested to know that I am being rent evicted, uh, and I am being for yeah by me, yeah, yeah by Riley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to build my wine cellar in Montreal. I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, Dan. I need to build another ten thousand honeycombed wine com- climate controlled wine slots in your bedroom. Do you understand, Riley, right? Do I have a listing for you when Ryland comes on? <laughs> um so this is this is basically what she said she was like look we need to stop foreign buyers from coming canadian we need to we need canadians to speculate uh and on on the housing casino uh and charge exorbitant rents to canadians not the chinese that's right um yeah uh so uh pierre polyamorous on the other hand says We've seen a 30% increase in house prices, even while wages have dropped. Where's the money coming from to double the number of mortgages to investor purchasers? Because it's true, the number of investor purchasers, meaning um, 
you know, people who want to buy a house just purely as a financial instrument. Yeah, the, the, the number has doubled. Uh, the answer is that the government is printing money, pouring more cash into financial markets, which are being lent out below the rate of inflation, which means wealthy investors are being paid to borrow money and balloon housing prices. So again, he's got actually a correct a correct diagnosis of the problem. Yes. But his solution is that's why we need to cut like to cut like medical spending and education spending. This is exactly the weird mindset of like the the sort of Yimby groups that have popped up online, which is that they do in a way have like a correct appraisal of like the contours of this very real, very massive crisis that is uh affecting more and more people, right? Like it's getting harder and harder to uh, sort of explain away the huge uh, unhoused populations and, and their relation to uh, uh, like white hot rental markets like Halifax or Toronto. And but but where the Yimbies take a take a wrong turn is they're like, well, we we have to work with the de- developers. We have to work. With them. Mm. It's a- just another kind of Georgism. Yeah. <laughs> Is like, uh, you know, we're we're anti-landlord, we're pro-developer, and these are fundamentally different. Yes. I mean, developers build housing, then restrict access to it. Landlords just restrict access to it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we don't have a problem with the restriction of access to it, of course. Like, look, when you have to repost the handshake meme uh, where your first version says capitalists and socialists, and then in the middle... It says uh, solving the housing crisis where you have to repost that meme three or four times until the entire meme is just a block of text. There's something fundamentally wrong with your approach, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we we simplify the memes. Finally. And finally, Daniel Blakey uh, says the biggest driver of the problem is the financialization of housing. Ding, ding, ding. The NDP has most correctly diagnosed the issue, uh-huh. along with the Tories. <laughs> Great job. Great job, everyone. Because <laughs> yeah, the, the liberals have an incentive to be like, no, no, no. We don't have to do anything too different from anything we've ever done. We're just about to do the right tinker that makes it all fall into place. <laughs> um, so uh, Blakey says the biggest uh, driver of the problem is financialization of housing. It's a question about the liquidity that the government provides to banks, which drives speculation in the housing market. So that's responding to Pierre Polyamorous's point. Uh, we also want to provide mortgage relief to Canadians with that extra fiscal headroom. But that's not what happened. So no one got mortgage relief. Instead, we massively expanded the amount of money that was available to investors and developers and so on and so on. Again, which is true. Interesting. He said mortgage relief, for example, though, and not say rental relief for social housing. <laughs> exactly. Um, but from a historical perspective, that hot, this hot housing market has been going on for a long time. Again, that's true. It's not COVID didn't do this. It just accelerated it. Yeah. So the immediate things the government could be doing right now is, uh, for example, nonprofit groups can't compete with investors and build affordable housing as they get out bid. Governments could set up a fund to enable nonprofits to snap up land and buildings when they become available. One other thing we can do is say, you should be forced to put more money down on each successive property you buy. So again, that's such classic NDP thing, right? Identify that the problem is the financialization of housing and say, what if we enabled nonprofits to compete? <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what Perfect. a good party. <laughs> Perfect. Yay. So left. Uh, yeah. R- Rachel Bendayan, of course, th- says, you're talking down the Canadian economy. Let's try our measures and move forward in a concrete way. Uh, Polyamorous continues, no, where did all the money come from? Where's it come from? <laughs> come on. Someone has to tell me. Um, comes from the hell dimension, man. Figure yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
Uh, and then, just to switch into our other other topic for a sec, um, I, I watched another Evan Solomon interview, uh, and I transcribed most of it as well. Uh, and it was Evan Solomon interviewing. Oh man, <laughs> God, fuck! Uh, Peter McKay, who is the Minister of Foreign Affairs under Stephen Harper. Yes. Uh, Thomas Lawson, uh, who was um, chief of defense staff of the Canadian Armed Forces, also also under Harper. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and then um, uh, Dick Fadden, uh, who was the former Dick Fadden. Yeah. yeah, Dick Fadden, uh, who was the director of CSIS. <laughs> Anyway, this is who Evan Solomon has interviewed on the question about what should happen with Ukraine. Like, sir, at long last, just how honorable is Centura? Um, yeah, uh, basic. And so he says, the first question is, should Canada do more than just sanctions? Should we? Uh, McKay answers, yeah. The thing that Putin doesn't want to see and fears most is a resilient, independent, corruption-free, sovereign Ukraine. He's afraid of it. He's afraid of how many young Ukrainians are like, well, I'm moving to Poland. Okay, this absolutely explains, uh, and we will get into it on our next, uh, our follow-up episode with Peter, but this this question period absolutely explains- Yeah, Peter McKay. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this explains Diane Francis's absolutely psychotic article in the Financial Post, uh, basically saying that Putin is jealous of Ukraine's quote-unquote success. His swag. Yeah. Putin Putin has been pocket-watching Ukraine. He's going to swagger jack you Donbass. Look, man, you know, here's how you tell whether you have a successful country or not, all right, when you've achieved all your goals. It's like um, it's like playing Civ Six or something, right? You're, you're on the tile. The tile says Ukraine. Uh, you achieve all your goals. And then, of course, what you do is because you can't get any more perfect – you send, uh, let's say, two thirds of your young people to Poland to go work for uh, minimum wage, uh, doing yeah. shitty jobs because you've already done all you can do in Ukraine and you have to expand, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're like, well, now to export success. the model. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dick Fadden say, says, the CSIS guy, look, Putin's goals harken back to when the USSR controlled Eastern Europe without owning any countries. We can't be that too much that will be effective alone. But I entirely agree with our Peter. With with, with our Peter. With Peter, we should both work with our allies and send troops. <laughs> now, the dissenting voice, of course, is General Lawson. Of course, All right. he says, "I'll add to what Peter said that we actually have had a thousand Canadians in Eastern European countries as part of Operation Assurance. We've got a battle group in Latvia leading NATO's confidence maneuvers to remind everyone we're there. Yet Latvia has imposter syndrome, and we're uh, being their uh, uh, friend. Latvia is going to be the new character in the new season of Euphoria. That's right. Um, <laughs> I would agree as as well with with Dick that Putin is probably not seeking an invasion. I think that." What, that's what he's doing a nation we but i think what he's doing is is that as a nation with fading power he's distracting us from china <laughs> we should be that's the dissent basically is what? no we shouldn't focus on ukraine russia is a fading power we should focus on china well the, i mean the inverse is true in in that in that all of this pressure on russia has pushed russia and china into like probably one of the biggest historical uh multinational like cooperative pacts that i've ever witnessed in my lifetime you know so mm, i think maybe a thousand more canadians uh doing donuts <laughs> in uh in 
like uh, um our fucking apcs in latvia should do the trick yeah uh you know military and cops too because uh i i don't know if you remember but last week uh the hamilton police department congratulated one of its detectives on um a successful tour of duty uh in ukraine doing like training programs and the funny thing is is that this same police department was the uh, kind of the, the like oversaw the Keystone Cops style investigation of whether someone painting a swastika on a monument to literal Nazis was a hate crime against Ukrainians. So there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Um, so the last comment there, I, I, there's a few more comments about, oh, Ukrainian neutrality and NATO. And they were like, it should probably be neutral. Um, uh, General Lawson, Thomas Lawson concludes, Look, we're the seventh most powerful nation in NATO. (laughs) (laughs) And there are a number of things that we can do as Canada. Don't forget, Canada has the third largest population of people with Ukrainian background in the world. So this is a key Canadian issue as well as a key NATO issue. It sure is. So... I mean, with all this, so so we have a couple of fronts on this kind of information war that's happening in, in Canada uh, right now about, like, what we should be doing in Ukraine uh, and why we should do it. And uh, a new front has opened up, and it is truly fantastic. Just great stuff. So I'm going to ask you, Riley, like, the Contras, Orlando Bosch, Ordine Nova, Kosovo Liberation Army, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. What do, what do all these things have in common? All these people. Uh, great movies dedicated to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, they, what they have in common is that they all worked so well and were so successful with like little or no consequence for the people living in the countries where they operate, where they operated or were conducted. Uh, and little or no consequence, uh, indeed, to the United States itself, that um, we, the West, are going to do it all again. We're going to get the band back together. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, look, when was the last time that a Western country tried something fundamentally new? Like what, 1980, 86, like like power shoulder pads? Like, yeah. I don't know, we've been sort of. Like, like, okay, we just maybe in the 1990s was sort of a continuation of the 80s, but let's just say for argument, it was the 90s. We're sort of dealing with those problems. It almost goes back to housing, right? Yeah. We set up our housing market in the 1990s and then no one has any other ideas. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is you a, know? this is an incredible example of like the terminal decay that is set in, uh, just, just the kind of rot, like, it's like, we're fresh out of ideas. Like the West, uh, the West failed at saving through. It has taken like 18 damage to object permanence. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're just like, yeah, fine, whatever. We, uh, we know that we can't win if we invade because like, yeah, we were sort of set up to fight big pitched ground wars, but like, we kind of don't think this is one we can win. We don't really have the will to do it anyway. Um, so instead we're just going to like try to create some kind of a, you know, a um, we're just going to try to enable like some of the mostly violent sociopaths we can find who we think are just going to stick to our side. And then we're more or less going to let them do what they want. And it never, ever, ever causes problems elsewhere. Yeah, it's, you can you can see you can see a fucking um, I don't know, like uh, like a like a, like a fascist uh, terrorist attack happening. Um, you know, back in the metropole, you can see the seeds of that being laid now. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, like we'll get into exactly why this won't work specifically in Ukraine because of its uh, very distinct uh, political contours and geographical contours. But I just want to read uh, I just want to read from this New York Times article. Um, so, you know, the, the article is basically is basically saying that the Biden administration is considering funding, training and facilitating an, a, an insurgency in Ukraine. So. Uh, it says the planning described on Sunday by a knowledgeable official includes ways to provide weapons and other support to Ukrainian military to resist invading Russian forces and similar logistical support uh, to insurgent groups if Russia topples the Ukrainian government and a guerrilla war begins. So one of, one of the things they say that uh, the United States can do is providing, mm-hmm. and this is an example of object permanence. <laughs> is yeah. providing shoulder-fired anti-aircraft missiles. The CIA's delivery of such weapons, known at the time as Stingers, had a devastating effect on the Soviet forces during their 10-year war in Afghanistan from 1979 to 1989. What happened after that? <laughs> yeah, look, I may be using a drastically out-of-date history textbook, but uh, the Soviets were gone, and that was that. I don't know. It's not as though maybe they like empowered some forces that ended up drastically altering, even going beyond like creating the conditions for 9-11, just like what they did to Afghanistan. Like Afghanistan was another thing before, you know, it was another it was it was, let's say, a contested space between um, between people who had different visions for it. And they certainly massively empowered people who had one particular vision for it. Yes. And. Ukraine is another contested space, and this is something we're going to actually talk a lot to Peter about next week, is who are the actual groups here who would be empowered by this kind of thing, right? That's another contested space, and we're picking the people we want to empower who are then going to take it the fuck over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, so like, yeah. the article goes on in ghoulish detail uh, uh, to, to sort of lay out the sort of slow and grinding pain that this insurgency would inflict on Russia. And you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, like, who, who knows better than America from recent history? And I, they even put it in the article. So, like, uh, it goes on from uh, when U.S. troops were poised on the border of Iraq in 2003. U.S. officials didn't consider the grinding, enervating war of counterinsurgency that laid ahead. The Biden administration, and they certainly <laughs> aren't going to now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Biden administration believes that Putin may be on the verge of making a similar mistake in Ukraine. They hope he doesn't make the wrong choice, but if he does invade, they want to make it hurt. I guess. It's like, yeah, well, we're going to do that. And the last time we did this, yeah, we're not going to remember that. We remember 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing more. So, you know, all of this is, is frankly bullshit. And, and we will, yeah, we're, we are going to cover why it's almost impossible for the U S to achieve any of these goals uh, in our next episode. But speaking of Iraq, the biggest fan, of this plan is none other than the architect of the shock and awe doctrine, Harlan Ullman. Yep. Another doctrine that works. Wait, this is basically just being like, all right, you were hosed by account by an insurgency the last time you tried to do anything. So why don't you plan the insurgency? Exactly. We can't get anyone else, of course. And again, I don't want them to get anyone else. I want them to fail and fail badly. But it's very funny that they're just like, well, all right, you've had your first nine chances, (laughs) but fuck up again. And that's almost half your chances. Yes. (laughs) So he's 
He's writing in uh, the Atlantic Council newsletter, right? Uh, He says, and I quote, As the principal author of the shock and awe doctrine, I have often been distressed by how badly this concept has been misunderstood, distorted, and maligned. (laughs) The aim of shock and awe was to win not by fighting uh, or to win by minimal use of military force, uh, by affecting, influencing, and even controlling the will and perception of the adversary. And now I'm going to take a pause and I'm going to reach over to the big dial that says Dr. Strangelove. And I'm going to turn it all the way to 10. Uh, could this help? Uh, could this help us deal with Putin? The answer is decidedly yes. The objective should be to turn intimidation against Putin by attacking his strategy of intimidation itself. Uh-huh. So we're going to counter intimidation with other intimidation to win a war. Yes. <laughs> to prevent a war from escalating. Yes, without committing, we're do. without committing any. These Amer- people are all such fucking crackpots, man. They're insane. They're totally insane. This guy specifically, like, uh, he goes on to say that the number of Ukrainians willing to defend their country today far exceeds the number of Afghan fighters who defeated the Soviets. Oh, does it? To which does I would it? say does citations fucking needed, Harlan. <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, and also, again, like, who are they? What do they want? Uh, what do they want in the long term? Why might they be doing this? These questions. Look, I, I don't think that should these questions be answered in the pages of a newspaper. I don't know if you want to take like the idea of you know, democratic participation and, you know, the foreign policy seriously, I guess at a minimum, probably. But are anyone considering them? Probably not because you would be a killjoy. You'd be like, wait a minute, we can't do this thing that's going to like allow us to do something and, you know, open up a little bit of that whole that we want to dump all that overproduction into um and you say actually no oh, it's going to create way more problems later they'll just throw you out the window yes that's it yeah exactly so you know here here at the end uh he gets he gets very omen gets very ghoulish and uh he says estimates of potential russian dead and wounded from a fresh invasion of ukraine should be publicized Thirty thousand or more casualties are likely and plans for a porcupine porcupine defense, advocated in detail in my latest book, by my book, uh, <laughs> should be reinforced by reports of Stinger and Javelin anti-air and anti-armor missiles, as well as IEDs en route to Ukraine. It is time to take the fight to Mr. Putin. Make him succumb to a reverse shock and awe. My bet is he will. Yes, absolutely. If I if I know anything, it's that this uh, half baked cockamamie plan is going to go fine, and Canada is in twenty years is going to be proud and relieved that it participated when it had an opportunity to just fucking not. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, like what's happening now is that uh, once this has been said and sort of floated by uh, Atlantic Council ghouls like Ullman. Um, now it is leaked into Canadian media. So, you know, you're going to see articles by people like Andrew Coyne and Justin Ling uh, advocating for, uh, you know, supporting this, whatever, however they reframe what is essentially like a Gladio style operation in a sovereign country. They'll figure out a way to do it, you know, um, because because a lot of the other options that these people have been talking about in our media are off the table now. Um, you know, we deployed 200 special forces troops uh, two days ago, but those are generally uh, publicly. They've said that it's to help Canadians leave the country, uh, diplomatic staff, if things get really bad. That's not a big troop commitment, you know. Yeah. 
And the other thing that was being hammered on over and over is how we're going to remove Russia from the SWIFT banking system, which people who understand the region were saying right from the beginning, it was never going to happen because Europe is thirsty for Russian gas and it's the middle of the fucking winter. So <laughs> exactly. So what we're left, uh, what yeah, we're left with is, great. is, is insurgency. This, this is all we have, you know, like, well, of course we have another option, which is do fucking nothing. Yes. Or <laughs> option three, which no one ever talks about, which is Canada. I mean, and here, I don't want to just be ultra negative all the time. Right. But, uh, I would say that one way Canada could help is use the fact that we have a large Ukrainian population, try and find a Canadian Ukrainian who is not a psychotic nationalist, uh, mm-hmm. who cares about the country, who has family there, you know, groups of those people, and use soft diplomacy to basically get Ukraine and Russia back to the Minsk agreement table. Something like we've said on the show before. Russia and the United States both want this conflict resolved. Like that's the quiet part, you know. Mm-hmm. And we well, that's not fun. That's not fun for guys to come on and debate very seriously on uh, 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 on fucking uh, Evans' show uh, on CTV, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Fun. Hold hold whatever version of Dayton Accords need to be held in Edmonton, you know? <laughs> like, what? Like at least no one's dying. Anyway. Well, with all that out of the way, I think it's time for us to finally uh, get an investment in some property. So uh, the two of us in Ryland, uh, aka Neo Morio, are going to check out some homes that are going to go under the hammer uh, just now. Hot listing, in a sec. baby. Hi, welcome to this second half of this episode of The Bottleman that is uh, technically last week's because Dan and I have brittle schedules. That's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but as promised, we wanted to we wanted to dig into a little more of what's really going on in the real estate market. So we, of course, uh, we, of course, brought a lo- local specialist, uh, a man who's a specialist in all things uh, local, posted from local groups and local news and so on. To, that we can try and sell a house to. Um, that's right, a man from the back of the turnip truck. It's our friend Rylan, <laughs> aka Neo Morio. Rylan, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Glad to be such a, considered such a hayseed. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> just just living in the backwater of downtown Canada. Yeah. Just um, <laughs> you know what? You're you're down by Lake Ontario. Uh, you've got a piece of grass in your in, in between your teeth. It's really long, and and you're <laughs> tied to your big toe is a fishing line. Yeah, that's um, right. You are uh, you're you're, sit, you're you're fishing uh, off of the off of the keys, and what do you know? It uh, you have uh, fished out one of those nine oh five er contrast co- contrast cuff shirts that they wear to clubs <laughs> called like uh, the the snake lounge or whatever. Ooh, snake yeah. lounge. That's right. Uh, but first, uh, before we get into like talking about the real estate stuff, I wanted to sort of bring something to your attention. Uh, Ryland just found this out. Uh, but Ryland, what's happening on May 4th? So on May 4th, 2021, uh, I'm actually not 100% clear on what the promotion was. But in the UK, uh, as a little bit of backstory, uh, they call a, a quarter pounder a big tasty. Uh-huh. And from what I saw, either it is... Um, on special until then, or maybe it, they discontinued it and they're bringing it back, or maybe it's anyway. Uh, on May fourth, that stops um, whatever promotion of this stops. It is no longer big tasty time Damn. as of May fourth. Uh, I I want to bring up some McDonald's news as well. Uh, 
I saw an advertisement for something called uh, the Air, Land, and Sea, and uh, I am immediately filing a copyright takedown strike uh, on McDonald's because I already invented that. It's called the McZoo. It's when you order a filet of fish, a chicken sandwich, and a Big Mac. You put all the meat in the middle, and you take the buns, and you make uh, you make bigger buns with all the buns, and that's the McZoo. And yeah. uh, they're they're straight up ripping this off from me. I also would like to announce a lawsuit. Um, I am taking uh, Coca Cola to court over their freestyle machine, which impinged on my patent of the suicide, uh, where you have one of a little bit of every soda. Uh, to make sure that you keep a balanced diet. Swamp water, baby. It's important. And then in another piece of news uh, about McDonald's, the, the uh, McDouble, still yeah. good. It's Yeah, this just in. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a great vlog. Just for, you're like, yep, still still pretty fine. Um, we, we we like the McDouble, the the dollar value saver menu. Uh, it's just, just, just say the dollar value saver menu. It hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> still um, rocking. Yeah. But look, right, here's the thing. You've eaten for a couple of years. You've had nothing but the dollar value saver menu. Uh, you've, you've been Morgan, Morgan Sherlock, and you've decided it's time for me to invest in my future. Um, so Dan and I both combed uh, real estate listings to try to find, both present and historical, uh, as well as some newsworthy, to try to find you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, your uh, dream home in uh, Toronto, Vancouver, Niagara-on-the-Lake, wherever it may be. Uh, so I love those three regions yeah, equally. Let's yeah, do it. Absolutely. Toronto, Vancouver, Niagara-on-the-Lake, you know, the three epicenters of Canada. That's right. The three poles. The three sisters. They call, call it them. the Triforce. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Dan, what's, uh, what, you, got, you, got a, you got a property for us? I got some stuff for you guys. I have two properties for you, and then and then after you guys, after Riley, you uh, present your property, I want to... I wanna, propose like a an alternative to owning property mm-hmm. if that works so let's begin let's begin with a place near and dear to my heart east vancouver um notoriously uh, a wonderful place to live no problems in east vancouver just uh clean easy living for everyone um you guys know about east vancouver right mm-hmm Home yeah, of uh, I knew it had to exist. Home of famous Canadian indie rockers, uh, Destroyer and Black Mountain. Um, so here we have today, located at the at the very tip of the Canby Corridor Phase Three, a single story uh, house. Now the listing says it's two stories, but they're counting the basement as the second story, which I think is cheating. And I, I want to be honest Oldest with you guys. In the book. You know, it's it's a single story house with a basement. Then I'm not going to lie. The basement's probably damp and the basement might have had a guy named Fish from Mississippi who traveled up to Vancouver on a train uh, living in it and cooking meth and uh, sharpening his sword that he carries with him everywhere. Mm-hmm. So just I'm just everything's out on the table here. So we've got this beautiful one story house in East Canby only. Eleven million dollars. Oh. Uh, okay, so one thing I'm just going to ask before we get into it is it like a serious chode building? Like how long and high? Well, not high, but wide is it? It's kind of like a tuna can. It's uh, okay. two thousand eighty-four square feet. 
Um, the lot frontage is fifty two point eight feet. You want to you want to think about that a lot, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because basically what you want to do with this house is you want to kick the people who are living in it out, uh, okay, and yeah. and you want to bulldoze it and build a condominium. Mm-hmm. Or is it is the current space good for entertaining? Um, let me just take a look inside. Well, you know, okay, so there's some water damage uh, in and around the roof. Looks like the chimney's falling over. So if there's water damage, could I get them to like take a couple thousand off the eleven million dollar price? I don't. I don't think so. That's just free water. That's free water. Yeah, that's a that's added value, Riley. Come on. Sorry. Um, ask me how old the house is, fellas. Okay. How old the house is, fellas? Uh, this house is an old timer. That's what it says on the listing. No, no actual date. Just says old timer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's from the olden times. It's yeah. from it's from uh, you know pioneer days. Yeah, it was. It's from it's from when we used to walk the length of the country. We used to canoe. Uh, it was from 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 before we invented television. Uh, in fact, that's why there's no uh, cords in it or anything. Yeah. <laughs> now the only entry to the no house proper. is through the basement. But um, I think that's good because, you know, maybe you want to sneak up on your housemates mm-hmm. or maybe you want to trap a delivery driver. I'm not sure. But this, whatever, whatever you do, there is your business. But it's uh, it's, it's a cool 11 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- I think that that sounds pretty reasonable that like just to sort of look at living in uh, central Vancouver where like millions of people do have jobs and stuff, you need like, I don't know. Like, like, this seems sustainable to me. Uh, to have a sort of dilapidated, uh, tiny house be worth eleven million dollars, so that you can just yeah, like, knock it down and build like uh, four families of condos. I don't know. Um, we are it's like twenty times the average Canadian's income. That's crazy. I mean, we have successfully lobbied the government to lower property taxes in British Columbia. So uh, the ten thousand seven hundred and seventy-eight dollars that you would have been paying in property taxes, you don't have to worry about that anymore. So we're we're working to help you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, here's I, I have another. I have, okay. Look, let's say this. We all though you can save a lot with the dollar value menu, right? But let's say you want to indulge in some slightly more deer scrant, which I'm okay, sure okay. you know. A, a man of culture, you know, I love my scrant. A man of culture and breeding, such as such as yourself, Ryland. I think that you want to enjoy the finer things in life, which is why uh, I wanted to talk to you about rather something that um, I believe is still on the market. Uh, now, it's uh, it's it's behind a house, and it doesn't have what you might call a house on it. Uh, it's more of what you might term a backyard, uh, which okay. is for sale in Kensington Market for a million dollars. Can I ask a question? Can yes, I please? Uh, Thank you. Does does the backyard have a roof? Uh, well, it has a surface that is made primarily of organic material that okay, actually okay. has grass growing out of it. So you could say it's a green roof without a structure underlying it. Ah, I see. This sounds, so it's got a roof. Yeah, this sounds like a good deal, man. I think you should take this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is pretty good. And I know there's a lot of really cool, like, annoying bars around there where there's, like, a red light down the hallway and you have to go in it. Uh-huh. And then you get a drink that sucks for $11. So, Those, like, if the, I don't know. If there's a bar, if there's an inconvenient bar that sells a drink that sucks for $11, that is fantastic for resale value. You want to be near those. Mm-hmm. 
right? You need to be like you want to be in the mix. Yeah, yeah. of course you want to be in the mix. You want to you want to go somewhere where you know it's like you have to like find the secret password by going on Toronto Life or Time Out or whatever, and then you know you can pay with like a debit card at this secret. Yeah, yeah, perfect, wonderful. No notes. Yeah, I I, I think um I I personally think that uh this buying a back you, you know what you could do you know you maybe you spend all your money on on the land is for if you can get a mortgage for like four hundred dollars then you can get a pretty nice tent and there, and there you go yeah 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 absolutely this is great <laughs> I love well it. that beats that beats my offer i mean geez that's <laughs> it's a savings of 10 million dollars it, it says in the star unlike just about every other laneway house in the city this one <laughs> proposed on croft street can be bought without an accompanying house <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <Ideal>. Why not? <laughs> I, you could build a tiny condo there. I think absolutely. Uh, okay. You could you could build a condo for dogs. That'd be cute. Um, here's right. here's my can, my counter offer. Um, it's not you know it's not a cool neighborhood. It's on Howe Street um, in Yale Town in in Vancouver. So it's okay. no Kensington. Don't tell Harvard Town. <laughs> oh Lord. Living in Vassartown. Um, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's it's maybe not as uh, location friendly as as the Kensington Market uh, single roofed dwelling for a million, but it is considerably cheaper. And I think, Ryan, I think it's going to appeal to you specifically and your sensibilities. I call this. Let's see it. Okay, I call this the author's nook. Ooh. It is zero bedrooms. <laughs> Zero okay. bathrooms. It is a sp- spacious. There's less distractions, you know. Exactly. You know what? You want to. You want to go get. You go into the shower, right? And and you're there just daydreaming your life away when you could be writing chapters. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, right? you're, you're, you're taking showers. You're not thinking about themes. You know, you're you're focused. You're focused on scrubbing the dirt off, but you're not focused on identifying the dirt of your character's souls. That's right. I, I would also argue that writing is like the ultimate cleansing. I don't know if that, you know, yeah. maybe that's stupid. That's yeah. I mean, people, a lot of people are concerned about, oh, do I have dirt on me? Do I have dirt on, on my skin? Do, are people looking at me and saying, hey, buddy, you got some, you know, you got a little splotch or something there. But what they're not thinking about is uh, the dirt on the inside. Mm. The most important dirt of all. Of course. Well, I, I guess kind of the way I've always seen it is that like a normal person like washes the dirt off their skin. But a writer shows it. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I think this place is perfect for you. No bedrooms, no bathrooms, no uh-huh. distractions, 200 square feet. It is only $85,000 and it is already set up as a wine cellar. <laughs> oh, well, you didn't say it was filled with writer's fuel. <laughs> yes. You know. See, the writer's note. So I'll, I'll just tell you from the listing, an exclusive private cellar storage room they say storage room, what they mean is apartment uh-huh. uh, in the iconic Vancouver house by West Bank mm-hmm. located in a, okay, here's, I got to come clean about this. It is in an underground parking garage. Okay. Uh-huh. But, oh, please tell me there's an 85 Burgundy there. Uh, th- well, unclear, but there are water and power connections. Um, and if you don't like wine, I know you like wine, but if you want to put other stuff in there besides, you know, living in there, it's perfect to store uh, tools, mm-hmm. luggage, hey, uh, seasonal wine is seasonal just, wardrobe. Wine is just the writer's tool. Exactly. Yeah. More, so, than, more than the pen, I think. Yeah. 
there are a lot of birds here and we're throwing a single stone in the form of this listing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of my any of my um any of my any of my listings can compete with basically you've got a place that's custom for what our our client here needs. I I mean, look, the thing is I mean, would well, I mean, could he possibly be willing to part with 3 million dollars for a uh, driveway in North Toronto. <laughs> really? The only thing I'll say is the name Yale Town is a little low rent, yeah. but otherwise we'll, uh, we'll move past that. That's yeah. fine. I mean, you can uh, you can winter there, right? Like, <laughs> so the thing I, is, okay. So the thing is, right? Okay, how about this? You winter in the cellar, uh, in the wine cellar, in the parking structure, but you summer. Right, you know, you you cut, you emerge into the world to you know observe the foibles of the human condition again, right? Um, and look, it's in Weston, it's like northwest Toronto, right? And it's mm-hmm. right near uh, a Torch Ministries of Canada church, a Marta's uh, Aquarium store, and a Chinese takeout restaurant, right? Uh, and it's All right, walkable neighborhood. Yeah, it's a walkable neighborhood, and I, I hope you like walking. If you don't like walking, though, you could put a car there because it is a driveway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know a driveway does increase the value of a listing by quite a bit. Yeah. Depends on the neighborhood, yeah. of course. But so we're already in good shape. And you know, if it's um, if it's basically a hundred percent driveway, then like as far as it's hundred percent value, yeah, it's a hundred percent value. Yeah. So like, I, I think I think that's a pretty good one. Although you can also, you know, if you want a more bohemian life, right? That's a three million dollar driveway in kind of the suburbs, right? Where you could maybe like cram some kind of incredibly top-heavy eight-story uh, condo building on it if you wanted to. Not that you would, because you are live more of a contemplative life. Um, if you wanted a more sort of bohemian life in the city, then uh, you could pay like, I don't know, uh, just $120,000. I think one of the cheaper, not the cheapest, <laughs> but one of the cheaper options we've had. And um, you actually could live in the coveted Massey Tower. Now, <laughs> tell me. Like a, like a common hunchback. <laughs> now, tell me, <laughs> how do you feel about carbon monoxide? Um, you know, part of it's good, part of it's not so good. That's right. I mean, hey, it's, which, which, wait, which part is good? The carbon or the, the monoxide? monoxide? I'm fine with, let me put it that way. Okay, okay. I, I, I hear you. So, look, you, um, you, for, for double the average Canadian yearly salary, you could secure yourself a parking spot at the Massey building so long as you don't mind living in a closed garage with cars in it that are running, running all the time. You know, that could be your, 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 your summer home is the parking spot in the middle of Toronto. Your winter home, you escape to the writer's nook. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering about the neighbors. You know, I'm kind of a BMW guy myself. Well, they come so I'm and, just wondering they, kind of what... They come and go, you know. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> Okay. Seems like an eclectic mix. Yeah, See, it'll be it'll be quiet during the day. Let's mm-hmm. let's just say that. <laughs> oh, I I absolutely think it will be quiet during the day. Uh, and and you know you'll get to meet so many different people. Uh, you know, probably uh, you know take a little bit of inspiration from some of the uh, some of the oddballs that will you know uh, that like, sort of wend their way through their lives as you just sort of sit in the parking spot that you paid one hundred twenty thousand dollars <laughs> for, uh, and it comes with a little uh, locker. That's not bad at yeah. all. It only you can have a, to put all my pages. You have a little you know? fire in there, you know. Well, writers love to sit in front of a little fire. Mm, you just sort of look at it. Um, but no, uh, what, what, what else? We, what else we got, Dan? Well, I was going to say, you know, the, all of these listings so far that we've been that we've been suggesting, 
uh, to Rylan are, are fine. I think they're fine. But you, you brought up something in the last listing that I think, you know, I think this, this next offering solves, mm-hmm. which is, so it's all fine and good for the writer to be uh, solo, you know, to be alone, to be alone with his thoughts, uh, to be contemplating uh, internal monologues, external monologue, everything, you know. But the writer also must take inspiration from uh, his surroundings and the people around him, right? Now, this listing solves that problem very easily. So how would you like to spend as much money as you're spending right now to live alone, but to have the added value of two or three roommates? I believe I've said when I've been on the podcast before, something about, you know, how much I love living in a dorm room because I get stupid business ideas with my friends. So this seems like it would be really perfect for me. All right. All right. So, so Victoria, British Columbia is in the middle of a housing crisis and, and they have solved a couple of problems at once with uh, what they call co-living suites. So uh, it's basically a 16 story building with very small apartments, which you will pay roughly what you would pay to live in an apartment by yourself, uh, but to share it with three or four other people. Um, Wait, so a co-living, do you have your own room? uh, You have your own room, bedroom. Well, I I mean, these aren't so much apartments as they are uh, pods. Oh, living in the pod. Yes. Yeah, living pods. Uh, Three, four, or five bedrooms all stacked on top of each other, and uh, they all share a kitchen and a living area. Um, so it sounds like you just you keep your door open. You got Mario Kart on the N sixty four. That's right. You're gonna make friends in no time. You know what you can do is you can like be a guy in his thirties who just like has a stack of every beer he's ever had. You know, you have like <laughs> like a like like a, like a handle of Captain Morgan. You know, like that's sort yeah. of three percent full. You know that you're still keeping. That's uh, pretty good. I can see like. Pulp Fiction poster, like Scarface poster. I love oh, yeah, totally. Perfect. Maybe the Pink Floyd poster. You know, you know the one. No, you you don't want you don't want to you know you don't want to come off as like an ass guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, know, you think there's some kind of ass obsessive. Okay, okay. I have. So let's yeah. wait. I I gotta I gotta tell you a little more about this. It's yeah. uh I I just I just want to sell this a little harder. This is Chris Colbeck, senior vice president of the Vancouver-based uh, company that is setting up these co-living spaces, and Chris says. That co-living is popular throughout North America and provides people with the opportunity to be part of a true community or vertical neighborhood. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, Chris is totally right. He, his company has essentially solved a problem that was totally prevalent during communism. So under communism, you had common elkas, which were communal apartments where uh, you would live with one or two other families. And the problem with those was that no one was making money off of them. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he's kind of presenting this as like, what if we did common elkas? What if you lived uh, as people lived in like logging camps in the 1930s, but, um, but there was a profit associated with it? Not to you, but to someone else. I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, that, that sounds to me like, you know, it, you'd be really connecting with heritage, but like with a modern twist. So I'm for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you can't afford to I'd say love to no show to this guy some Asher raw. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have the listing that's going to bring this whole thing home, right? I've actually sent it to the group DM. If you just want to open it up, All right. a moment, please. All right. It's uh, 62 Church Road, Niagara in the Lake, Ontario. You know, oh baby, <laughs> you know we're finally we're. Hey, hey is yeah. that is that wine country? Why? Not only is oh. that no. Look, here's the thing. 
Right. This oh. this property, it has zero bedrooms, zero bathrooms, none of that at all. Uh, so the interior details are uh, zero bedrooms, zero bathrooms, total structure area, zero meters, but high-speed uh, internet okay. is available. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> however, it is... It is a vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> what what do we got growing there, Riley? What what are, what's what's our crop? Well, here's who the are, thing. Who are our roommates? I, I I think you'll you'll find a, a, it is the simple humble market grape is your roommate. Ah. This these are grapes to be sold and and consumed uh, by uh, uh, children and recovering alcoholics. These are these are are, are almost like um wine au naturel. Ah, yeah. oh, we're talking like skin contact, that kind of thing. I'm saying if you want, well, th- these are humble market grapes to be eaten. What you want to do <laughs> is you want to, you know, you want to usher out the riffraff. And then you want to bring in um, Cabernet Sauvignon, the scribbler's delight. Oh, uh, shit. The or, noble grape. Yeah. Or perhaps or perhaps uh, something a little bit a little bit lighter. Uh, Riesling, the poet's friend. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about having German grapes uh, as roommates. It's, okay. I don't know. All right. How about this? How about this? The last suggestion is um, is is, is temper, Temperanillo, uh, the the wordsmith's last resort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I've always wanted to live with a bunch of Spaniards. That's yeah. good. I like this. So, look, you, you've heard a lot about a, a lot of good houses. Uh, Different uh, backyards and land and parcels of land that are selling for you know millions of dollars, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, parking spaces that are going and storage lockers that are going for like hundreds of thousands. What homes used to go for, and um, a, a, a simple humble vineyard uh, which is going for only a million and a half. So where are you moving? Well, okay, it was going to be the vineyard. Uh, as a writer, I think that would really help me bring kind of a little extra truth. To my craft, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is, you said high-speed internet's available, and I just kind of think we spend too much time on our phones. What is that? Like, you text someone? Come on! Uh, so I am going to go with the wine cellar in Yaletown. That's good because that place is in it's in the parking garage, and that parking garage acts as kind of a Faraday cage against you getting uh, like any sort of signal on your phone. So you'll be completely without distraction. Oh, per- well. Another absolutely perfect. An, another sort of a real estate battle of wits lost by me. Of course, <laughs> I always lose these. Everyone hates me. They just wish I would stop being a real estate agent. They just think I'm the worst real estate agent in all of Canada. And like that's fine because if they all want to talk about me all the time, like say I'm I've never sold a house. You'll never sell a house. You don't even have a real estate license. Dan outfoxed you again. It's like <laughs> come on, you know what? Just say it to my face and stop stabbing me in the back. Yeah. But that's right. With all that being said, Ryland, thank you for coming to our sales presentation today. Guys, thank you for having me. I'm so appreciative of the effort you put in, and I can't wait to move in. And, I'm glad uh, we could house you, buddy. And uh, for 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 more, for for just for just for more in general, uh, don't forget we have a Patreon at seven dollars every great Canadian month. Uh, so you can get uh, an ep- you can get a second episode on a fortnightly basis. Uh, I, I'm teaching myself the new way to say it, uh, but you know I'll get it soon. Anyway, I will see you all uh, next week, or let's be honest, in a few days, because this is technically last week's episode. Just Dan and I have very brittle schedules. Uh, so, right. bye everybody. Bye. Bye. bye.